Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. You're about to meet a mother who buried her 11-year-old son just three days ago, and another mother who buried her son 11 years old two weeks ago. You may have seen the headlines about what happened, saw the headlines just like I did, and I am so disturbed by what reports say these boys have endured. I said to the producers, we're going to begin a national conversation. We need to out the bullies. So today begins a national conversation on bullying right now. On April 6th, apparently after an upsetting bullying incident, Carl came home, went to his room, and hung himself from the stairwell banister. I went upstairs, and you know that's when I, I, I found Carl. My niece um, called 911, and then my daughter brought up a knife, and I cut the extension cord myself. It was the worst day of my life. He was fun-loving and very kind-hearted, very sensitive child. Growing up in Massachusetts, Carl Walker was a bright student who liked school. But last fall, when he started junior high, his family says he became a target for bullies. They were calling him gay. You act like you're gay. You think you're gay. Are you gay? We weren't raised to fight back. That wasn't a part of who Carl was. Suddenly, school was a nightmare, and every day, they say Carl was verbally assaulted by his classmates. Carl told me about maybe two to three um, boys initially that, you know, bothered him and, and called him names, and they threatened to beat him up. He was so afraid that he ate lunch with the guidance counselor. I joined the PTO. I sat in on the class. I even set up an appointment with Carl to meet with the guidance counselor once a week. I don't know what else I could have done. Then, just 10 days later, another boy committed suicide, reportedly because of bullying. Atlanta-area sixth grader Jaheem Herrera was viciously taunted with homosexual slurs at school, according to his mother. From the time they know Jaheem, they're calling my baby a gay, and about his accent, how he talks. She says last month, Jaheem told his best friend he'd had enough. He said that he's tired of everybody always messing with him in school. 
He's tired of telling everybody about the problems and they never do nothing about it. So the only way out is by killing himself. On April 16th, Jaheem came home from school, proudly showed his good report card to his mom and went to his room. Later, she went upstairs and found her son hanging in his bedroom closet. My baby was a happy baby. My baby liked to dance. My baby liked to draw, you know? My baby had his little sister to look out for when they get older. Now I don't have my boy child. I was my only boy child. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So we have here today two mothers walking through the same nightmare. Carl's mother and Jaheem's mother are meeting for the first time today on this stage. And despite their own pain, they are standing up and speaking out for millions of children, your children, across America, who are being bullied. Please welcome Sardina and Masika. Hello, welcome. Welcome to you both. So we uh, wanted to start the conversation, but uh, Nobody can even imagine the kind of pain and um, sorrow that you were feeling because you just buried your boy Tuesday? Yes. Yeah. Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. And you're, you buried your son? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. What happened at school, do you know, the day he killed himself? Was it like any other day or did something particularly happen that day? Something happened that day. This is what Carl told me. He said that his backpack had hit the TV stand, and that the TV stand hit a girl. In a classroom? I don't know if it was in a classroom. It was somewhere in the building. Yeah. And that the girl got really upset and threatened to beat him. Mm -hmm. And then he said that he was facing a five-day suspension. And I tried to reassure Carl that there's no way you could receive a five-day suspension without the school calling me and contacting me. And I thought that I had reassured him. He just went quietly up to his room. Mm -hmm. And I continued making dinner. Okay. And you thought he was upstairs doing? Well, I thought, I knew he was upset. And um, Was he sometimes... crying? Was he? No, he wasn't crying. He was just really quiet. You know, and I called his name and he didn't answer. And normally sometimes my daughter and my son, they live, you know, on the third floor. Mm -hmm. And normally they don't always answer. So I called again and he didn't answer. And when did you know something had gone very wrong? I went upstairs to get Carl. And he had how And that's when I found him. Mm -hmm. You found him. Yeah. That's when I found him. So in the case of your son, um, Jaheem, was he having problems with bullies before this year? No. He was not having problems before this no, year? No, because um, he was back home in the Virgin Islands, mm -hmm. in St. Croix, and he was happy. He never had problems like that back home. So this was a new school for him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He went to that school and it just started. At first he was telling me about it. But what was he telling you? That they calling him gay, 
-hmm. You know, they're saying you're from the Virgin Islands, you're a virgin. Mm -hmm. You know, you're ugly. Mm -hmm. You can't do this, you can't do that. Like, he likes to draw, he mm -hmm. likes to dance. He, mm -hmm. he used to, you mm -hmm. know, and they used to bother him with all that. Mm -hmm. And at first he used to tell me everything, everything. Mm -hmm. But then he just stopped. Stopped talking about it. Mm -hmm. Was this the case with, with Carl also? Yes. Mm -hmm. So on the day that your son took his life, he came home? Yes, he was happy. He showed he me happy. his report card. Mm -hmm. I high-fived him, you know, and when his sister brought up the topic again that the one boy called him gay that day, he got upset, you know, because maybe he didn't want me to know about it so I can't go back to school again because he know I've been there several times. Mm -hmm. So when I send him upstairs, he usually go upstairs and play with his toys, you know, and mm -hmm. get over it. And mm -hmm. I call, I tell my daughter to go get him to eat dinner. Mm -hmm. And she called out on him and he never answered. So when I went upstairs and I unlocked the door, there I saw is. my baby there hanging. hanging. Had he indicated how miserable, how disturbing this was? Did you have any idea that this was troubling him to this degree? Well, um, for the Easter weekend, when he was at home, he was happy. He was playing with his sisters. Mm -hmm. He was with me and my boyfriend. Everything was good. Mm -hmm. But when he went back Monday to school, he just started dragging, you know? He don't want to eat. He don't want to brush his hair. He don't want to brush his teeth. And that was weird to me, you know? I thought he was sick. Cause he was the first one on the table and the first one off. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I noticed that, like, you know, I thought he was sick, but I didn't know it was So he did seem depressed to you when he had to go back to school. Yeah, he yeah. was dragging. Did you notice that from Carl, any sign of depression or? Well, I noticed that Carl had started eating a lot and we just thought that, oh, he's on a growth spurt, mm -hmm. you know, cause he plays a lot of sports. So we just thought that he's on a growth spurt, but he did start eating a lot towards the end. Do you think that this was something that he had planned for a long time? Or do you think that he just became upset that day and suddenly this is the decision that he made? I don't really think that he planned it, but I know on that day, part of um, everything that happened, the girl did end up telling him that you act like you're feminine. I know she said that. Those were her words? After right. the, during the fight. Yeah. Did he leave a note? Yes, he did. He did leave a note. Can you share with us? He's part of what he said. He told everybody that, you know, he loved them very much. He said he was very sorry. Um, he was looking out for his younger brother, Charles, and he didn't want him to have a difficult time. And did they, he say why he was doing it? No, he did not say why he was doing it. And that he loved, he named everyone that he loved. And, you know, and he said, P.S., um, he's leaving his Nintendo um, DS and Platinum that was his favorite um, toy, to his sister for her. Did your son leave a note? No, ma'am. No, he didn't. He just did it. He just did it. Well, Dr. Dorothy Espelage is a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois and a leading researcher in a growing trend called exactly what your sons went through. It's called sexual bullying. and. Um, Tell us what you found, that half of the bullying in elementary and middle schools involves gay slurs, something you say we didn't hear from kids in the 90s. Why, why is that? What we're saying is generally that kids are introduced to sexual materials earlier in life, some of which they don't understand, language they don't understand, like gay and fag, lesbian, dyke. 
And what's happening is our schools are required by the Supreme Court to talk to them about sexual bullying through sexual harassment legislation. We are doing zero of that in our schools. So kids use these words really not knowing that there are serious short-term and long-term consequences when you are a target of this over and over again. Now, you're saying the reason why we're seeing it now and not so much, you know, because, you know, kids were called sissies when I, were, I was coming up. And the reason it's so prevalent now is because... Because schools are ignoring it. Oftentimes, this language is used among the students when teachers aren't around. Mm -hmm. The bully, the ringleader bully, will say it when teachers leave the classroom, when they're on the playgrounds. And ultimately, our nation is ignoring the fact that sexual harassment includes sexual bullying. Sexual harassment is calling others these names of gay and fag. And when you do that directed to boys, it's the most hurtful thing you can do to attack their masculinity. And when you call a girl a whore or a lesbian, it serves the same purpose. Our schools are paying attention only to testing and focusing all their energy on testing and preparing the kids for tests. So no child left behind has left our support staff of counselors, school social workers, not doing their jobs. We've ignored the mental health needs of our kids. And when will it stop? How many have to kill themselves? I've been on the show for the last 12 years, Oprah, and we're still here. And we're still talking about it. We're still it. talking about it. We were stunned by the fact that both boys, same age, and that they hung themselves. Why, you, there, there's a reason for that. Yeah, so what we're seeing earlier and earlier ages, and what we're seeing is they don't understand what's happening to them. They really don't know how to reach out. We know that being called gay and lesbian and a fag, you will contemplate suicide if that happens over and over again. And so many times the kids aren't gay or doesn't matter if they are or not. It but many times they're not. And many times they don't know if they are or not because they're not even at that stage of really knowing what their sexuality exactly. is. And many, are you saying too that the kids who are using the slurs, they certainly probably don't understand the impacts of the slurs. They they're just doing it for what purpose? To well, demean the other well, and person? This is what the groups do. There's not necessarily just an individual bully that's doing this. It's groups of kids that do it. Some kids that are popular, this is how they establish dominance. This is how they look cool. This is how they fit in. And then you've got good kids around them just kind of going in and doing this behavior, contributing to it, egging it on, not supporting the victim. And ultimately, it becomes a climate problem. It's the school's problem. We know from my research that there's high rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide among these kids. And so we need to change the climate. And again, there's demands on the schools to produce strong academic outcomes, and I understand that the teachers are burdened. Right. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Experts say there has been a rise in homophobic teasing in grade school and middle school. This type of bullying contributed to young Ryan Halligan taking his life five years ago. It seemed like he was born smiling. Uh, his smile was, it was uh, infectious. He definitely lit up the room. He was definitely the apple of my eye. 
And even though he didn't excel in academics and even though he wasn't excelling in sports, he had the greatest gift of all and it was a great personality. Ryan Halligan's parents say kids started teasing him in fifth grade. When Ryan came to me and said he was being picked on, my initial response was, it's just words. You need to just ignore him, walk away. When Ryan's self-esteem started to plummet a bit because of these uh, kids picking on him, I did get him a counselor. The combination of a therapist and the advice that we were giving him, I, you know, I thought we were going to be okay. The bullying continued on and off for the next couple of years. Then came seventh grade. One night I came home from work. I found my son with his head down on the kitchen table. He lifted his head and he said, I hate this school. I hate this school. I never want to go back there again. Can you homeschool me? Can we move? We wanted to go into the school and talk to the principal, talk to his counselor, do the conflict resolution, but Ryan didn't want any part of that. He said it would just make things worse. Ryan's plan was, Dad, teach me how to defend myself. We did that together. Sure enough, he had a point in time where the kid tried to pick a fight with him, and my son, quite frankly, taught him a lesson. To his parents' surprise, Ryan said he was actually becoming friends with the kid who bullied him, but that friendship was quickly betrayed. He spread a rumor around the school and online that my son was gay, and uh, this went around the school like crazy. It was like a feed-in frenzy. All of a sudden, kids who normally didn't bully Ryan got in on the so-called fun. Ryan started getting vulgar, homophobic emails, but didn't tell his parents. He also began long online chats with a girl he liked. I think he had this plans of trying to get a relationship going with her so that when eighth grade started up again, he could say, she's my girlfriend, and perhaps the gay rumor thing would stop. But when Ryan approached her in person, he discovered it was all a big setup. Well, in front of her friends, uh, she told Ryan, look, you're just a loser. I don't want anything to do with you. I was just joking. And she and her friends started to laugh. Humiliated, Ryan said, it's girls like you that make me want to kill myself. The following month, emotionally battered by bullies and undiagnosed depression, Ryan hung himself in the bathroom of his home. I remember screaming, why? Why? Because I didn't understand it. He just seemed so happy. I was never prepared for that phone call. It was my wife, Kelly, crying hysterically. John, you need to come home. You need to come home. Our son is dead. Ryan killed himself. If I had the opportunity to talk to Ryan right now, I would say, Ryan, I love you. I want to make sure you, un <laughs> you understand that I love you. We're going to be together again someday. Ooh, that's hard. So Ryan's father, John Halligan, is uh, Skyping from New York City, where he just spoke at an anti-cyberbullying conference. John, you had no idea, as these mothers here today, that the gay taunts and the cyberbullying were going on until after your son's death. Is that that's accurate, right? That's correct, Oprah. You know, I in the beginning I wanted to answer the question why so desperately, and, and one of the places I looked was on his uh, instant messaging account. I logged onto the account. Quite frankly, I startled his friends and his classmates, and I said, look, I'm Mr. Halligan, and I'm just here trying to find out why. Does anybody have a potential reason? And it was in that forum where we learned about the gay taunts that were going on at school and online, 
and also about the pretty girl setting him up online and pretending to like him. And uh, he tried to deal with this stuff on his own. He tried to, to manage the situation, but it got out of control. And I further found evidence on the computer that my son had slipped into depression. It was very clear. You know, he had been contemplating and actually planning this final act. Mm-hmm. And, and we as his parents had no clue. We didn't know. Uh, we didn't know until we uncovered all of this stuff. So had he, he showed no signs of depression around you and, and the family? You know, in retrospect, uh, he did, but we weren't trained. So what were some of those signs so that uh, the life of your son can help someone else live today? What were some of those signs? Well, you know, that last summer, he, he became very withdrawn. He was spending a lot more time on the computer than he ever had before. And he was not doing the things that he typically liked to do with me. I mean, we used to always go camping every summer. And that summer, he told me, no, Dad, I'm not really interested. And, and I just thought he was becoming an older teenager who didn't want to hang out with Dad anymore. You know, yeah. he wasn't cool. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you blame anyone for Ryan's death? You know, I, I, I don't blame any particular person or event. You know, in the end... I believe my son died of an illness called depression. And, and I believe that depression came about because of the toxic middle school environment that he was in at the time. And I understand you believe that uh, cyberbullying is, is, is equally as dangerous or more so than, you know, one-on-one physical bullying. I believe cyberbullying is far more dangerous uh, than what we had to deal with uh, a generation ago. The, you know, the level of pain that can be brought about by this behavior is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's been five years now uh, since your son, Ryan, committed suicide. What do you want to say to, uh, to uh, Dina and Masika here today? Well, I want to say to the moms, first of all, I admire your strength. I mean, I, I just find it incredibly courageous of you to get on national TV and to tell your story this early, because at this stage, I could barely function. And I think you're doing a wonderful thing for society. I think it's important for you to keep telling this story and keep driving change. It's the best way to press on, to give your son's life meaning, and to create a lot of positive change for other children in the world. And I I admire you, and I respect you, and I pray for your strength to continue on. Thank you. Let me ask you this. At some point, at some point, John, did you go to the school and try to talk to the kids who had been a part of this harassment of, of Ryan? I did have that moment in time with the, uh, with the girl and the boy. And in the end, they apologized. What did you say to them when you had the opportunity to meet with them? What did you say to them? Well, you know, I told the girl, I said, look, uh, you did a mean thing, but I don't believe you're a mean person. I don't believe for a second you would have done what you did to Ryan if you knew Ryan would do what he did. And, you know, that girl was such a mess. Uh, she, when we met, she held me so tight and, and I felt the sorrow and I felt the remorse. The boy, we, it took a few more steps, but in the end, you know, he also broke down and cried and gave me a very sincere, heartfelt apology. I mean, he finally got in touch with the, the level of pain that he had brought to Ryan as well. Did either of them recognize that their actions as bullies was causing the kind of pain it was causing to your son? I mean, tragically, I don't think they were in touch with the pain they were causing when they were doing it. And that, that was a big part of the tragedy here because yeah. uh, I know they would not have done what they did if they knew the outcome would be this. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing Ryan's story with us today, John. Thank you.
All the best well, to you and your family. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So I want you to meet Jackie, a mother who says she is really worried, worried sick about her son, Chase. My 13-year-old son, Chase, has consistently been bullied at school for over a year now. Once a week, I am at his school trying to calm him down or talk with teachers and counselors about why he's being picked on. Nothing seems to work. Chase says kids are always pushing him around, calling him a loser and a fag. He's been threatened and punched. Last week, Chase left a note at school saying he couldn't take it anymore. I'm scared of his mother that he might just go away. And that I can help him. Okay. So we asked Dr. Susan Lipkins, who is a leading psychologist who specializes in bullying, to sit down with Chase, and here's some of their conversation. Ever since first grade, I've really been bullied and picked on and called names, and I kind of got used to it. And then I started going on the bus, and then it just got worse. What happened that made it worse? What did they do differently? Um, this kid started picking on me. Everybody started picking on me. OK, I don't want to know his real name. So when we talk about him, we'll just call him Joe. Is that OK? Yeah. OK. So for three years, you've been dealing with this Joe guy? Yeah. He uh, comes up to me all the time and kind of hits me on the shoulder or pushes me, throws stuff at me and calls me fag and retard. And it really hurts me. When you said that he, he called you fag and retard, did, do they both hurt you equally, or does one word hurt you more, or what? Um, this fag word really gets to me, just gets right under my skin. And it does? Just, Go ahead, tell me about it. What, um, what does it make you feel? Sometimes I just want to hit myself and ask myself, why me? Is it my fault? Okay, let's go. Am I the reason this is happening? What do you think? Sometimes I think it is because... Yeah, because uh, what? I... I just think it's me because they know I will get mad and they know how to get to me. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right that the kids, the bully can smell the perfect victim. And what I mean by that is they know which kid is really going to get upset and how to upset them. And it sounds like this guy, Joe, knows how to do it. Do you think he thinks you're scared of him? Yeah. So why do you think he thinks you're, that it works? Because I don't stand up for myself. That's right, exactly right. So why don't you stand up for yourself? I don't really know how to stand up my, for myself. I think that's brilliant, what you just said, is you really don't know how to do it. Chase and his mom, Jackie, are here. And I see, Sardina, this is, this is very hard for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is like looking at Carl. It's just like looking at Carl. Would you, would you like to be excused? Do you want to not sit here? You can. We just met 13-year-old Chase, who says that he has been the target of homophobic slurs and relentless bullying for years. Chase reported the bullying to the school counselor. And what did they tell you to do, Chase? Um, 
lots they would tell me to ignore it and that it would just go away. But I'm trying to get them to understand that ignoring it for eight years is a lot. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to ignore it and how much more I can take. Mm -hmm. And when you say you don't know if you can take it anymore, what does that really mean, Chase? Um, like, ignoring's not helping and um, it's not going away. Mm -hmm. and you know, your mother is afraid that you will resort to what we've been talking about here today with the other three boys who took their lives because they were harassed. Have you thought about taking your life? No, but sometimes it gets to the point where I feel that I should have, but... But? It just, uh, it just doesn't feel to me that it would solve anything. Mm -hmm. I just feel that would make, would, would make things worse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for not only me, but everyone around me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good for you. But you're worried enough because you see all the signs and you've watched this show and you watch these mothers and you heard John on Skype, so you know all the signs. And yes, he's seen. doing exactly what their children were doing. Doing exactly what their children were doing. And what's being done to him is exactly what happened yep. to their children. Exactly. So parents say ignore it and because they think they're doing the right thing. And we all grew up hearing sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, but words really do right. hurt us. Is that the right advice to ignore it? No, I think it's absolutely the wrong advice. We have to, we have to help the children to have a stand, to have a voice, to express themselves. Everybody has equal rights and you have an equal right to be anywhere you are and you need to protect that space in the same way that we protect a parking space. Mm -hmm. We have to teach the kids how to protect their space and how to be firm and not to be a victim. Yeah. And, I, and we can't do yeah, that. I heard that and you know, for years we've been talking about this and I, it's the first time I actually, I had an aha moment myself preparing for this show that even as a child, they need to, to understand that there are boundaries that people cannot cross with you. Right, absolutely. And the parent has to start that really early, like in three and four, because mm -hmm. we do see uh, bullying that young in nursery school. Here's more of Dr. Lipkin's session with Chase. So what would happen if in your mind you started to think of yourself as standing up to Joe, as telling him, no way, not here, not me, you're not doing this anymore. And you were really firm like that. Could you imagine yourself like that in your mind? Yeah. What uh, would you do? I'd yell at him and... Good, let me hear. What would you say? Uh, stop. Let me hear it even louder. Stop. I'm not going to take this anymore, and you can't do this to me. It's a good thing for you to understand that we each have a personal space. And it's my job to protect my personal space. If somebody comes into me, it's my job to push them back. How am I supposed to do this? There are two things. One is using your words, like saying stop. Yeah. But the other is what we call body language. And body language is what your eyes are saying, what your face is saying. It's what your hands are saying. It's how loud you talk. It's how firm you talk. If I go forward and I look at you like that, what message that does that give you? I should back off. Right. Okay, and if I said, if I went like this and said, go away, would you believe me? Do you have a dog by any chance? Yeah. Okay, and when he doesn't listen to you, what do you do? Get frustrated and just get louder. 
You do get louder. And does he start to listen? Yeah. Okay. I want to hear the loudest you ever said anything to the dog. And tell me what you said to him, like down or sit or whatever. Let me hear how you say it. Down, Lola. Okay, now I want it 20 times louder. Lola, get down! I like that. That was excellent. That was really good. How do you feel about it? Good. You feel good? We know that 50% of the time, if you just say no to a bully, they'll stop. Do you think you can do that? Yeah. You do. Still have a ways to go? Yeah. But you're really good with down Lola. <laughs> <laughs> Lola, get down. Lola, get down. So this is what we should be teaching our children? Yes, I think that parents have to release their kids. We see that the kids who are victimized are the ones who are the good kids, who are well-behaved. And the parents, you know, they say, you know, we, we don't want you to get in trouble with the authority figures. And the kids are actually afraid to disappoint the parents. So they're very good. And we're handcuffing the kids. Mm -hmm. We're not allowing them to be real and to have a voice and to speak up and to say no. We have to instill in each child a GPS so that they can navigate through life on their own. We won't be there. The school can't control it. Mommy can't control it. I can't control it. There's only one person who can control it. And it's you saying no, and it's you standing up and not being a victim. And we really have to help our children know that it's OK to protect themselves. And so I think one of the messages for the, the, the life of Jahim and the life of Carl and the life of Ryan that we've uh, been discussing here today, because that's the real purpose, is to let their lives be a light to the life of your children, is one of the messages is that you have to take charge and not rely on the school to fix this problem for you. Right. You say Chase is a hero. Why? He's a hero for coming here today, for telling his story, for sharing it as you Isn't are that heroes? brave audience? How <laughs> so Chase, what's going to happen when you go back to school and all of these Joes who have been harassing you see you, see the show, hear about the show? What's going to happen, and are you prepared for that? I'm hoping that they'll better understand that it's hurting me and that it's not okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe now that I've been on the show and I'm telling the world, maybe everybody will understand mm -hmm. that it's not okay mm -hmm. and they'll take it more seriously. The thing that concerns me is that now the bullies are really mad because you're on the show talking about it. And I can't, you know, as, as brave as I think you are and the audience thinks you are, we can't be there for you. And I wouldn't expect that the bullying mentality is going to feel badly about what they did. Because as John was saying, when he went to talk to the bullies, it took a while before that kid understood what he'd actually done. It took a while for that to happen. Right. So I know what we're going to do is he's going to continue to work with you. But um, I don't, I'm not relying on the bullies to be empathetic. No, they're not yeah. going to be empathetic at all. Yes. No. No, and, and actually, we're going to have some therapy for him where he lives so that you know, he will be helped. Um, I think that you're right, that the bullies are not likely to be understanding. Yes. Um, but maybe they will have learned from these stories. Hopefully, they'll see mm -hmm. that when you do call a kid uh, those kinds of names, particularly in middle school, that it has an impact. I, I think, I hope, that you're going to practice some of the techniques um, and that you'll be able to stand up for yourself. And it's that nonverbal language as much as your, lang as your words that's going to communicate that.
All right, what you want to say, Dr. Asperlach? 67 bullying prevention programs in this country, a number of which actually teach social skills and standing up. The problem is, is that all of our schools are different in the level of safety. When some kids stand up for themselves, they are then called a snitch, and the bullying becomes much more physical, and it escalates. In some of our schools where there's gang involvement, that standing up for themselves becomes a serious, serious risk of safety for them and their family. So, so what's the solution? The solution is, again, that we cannot just focus on the victim standing up and assertiveness skills. Certainly that's important because every adult would like to have those skills. But if you're placing that child with the new assertiveness skills in the school where the school's ignoring the behavior, there are big groups of popular kids that are running the hallways essentially and doing this in the absence of supervision, that approach will by itself will not help us. And as adults in this country need to accept responsibility that we have to take responsibility for making these schools more safe because it's not working. I've yeah. studied it for 15 years. Yeah. It's escalating, it's getting younger. They're now following them home through their computer. You can't escape it if you're a victim in the schools. 30% of bullying still happens in the schools. Three to 4% through the internet. Well, John, I know you have something to say. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the important point is the vast majority of the kids are not being bullied and they're not bullies, but far too many of them are bystanders. And it's, it's that group that we need to tap into to help address this problem because kids will listen to kids far more quicker than they will listen to an adult. And, you know, these discipline approaches don't work. But I'm telling you, positive peer pressure can have a tremendous effect. I've been to over 200 schools across the country, and I tell Ryan's story, I leave them with this message that you know, the bystanders can make a huge impact on this problem. They can change somebody's life by not only sticking up for the kid being bullied, but they have an opportunity to teach the bully how to be a better person too. Yeah, this woman and, in the audience, I, you had said that too. Yeah, it was a third grader and she went to a private school and she got taunted and picked on and so the mother pulled her out of the private school and put her into our public school. And they went to this like field trip, a museum or something. And it happened to be that this private school, the same grade, those girls were at the museum and they started taunting her in front of her new friends at her new school. And we have a no bullying policy at our um, school and they educate children how to help the victims. And so these girls, there's five of them, they circled around her and said, we don't need to listen to this. And they walked off with her. Yeah. And that mother says that her daughter has self-confidence and it made a world of difference to her. That's exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead, John. I mean, we have to be very cautious that, it, that we don't tell the person being bullied that they, they are inadequate, that they don't have strong enough social skills. You know, to me, that's, that's rather unfair to, to tell a child that because collectively we're responsible for this behavior and it's yeah. bystanders who give the bullies the power. They're the part of the problem. If right. we get the kids to stop standing by, we're going to make a huge impact. And also what I was going to say is, you know, what we should do is give the tape of the show to your school because it, it should not be, this should not be, you know, and I, and I agree that what the, what the, the self-assertiveness training and all of that's great, but this should not be now his full responsibility no. to go back and, and make sure that he is protected. I think that's the role of the school now to, to, to implement the kind of program you're talking about and to do what you're saying, John. This is not just Chase's problem. It becomes that community's problem. Absolutely. It's our problem. Thank you all for being here today. Thanks, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.